Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Joining me yet again in center ring is Colleen O'Neill. Now, Colleen is here for Act Two. In the circus, there were people who actually had more than one act multi-talented. Well, Colleen today is back for part two. We just aired her episode last week. Here's part two. When we were done recording, I said to Colleen, you know, I never even asked you if you were divorced. I guess you're not, right? And she said, oh, but I was. I am. And And I think you said, Colleen, that Many people don't really ask you that. No, most people do not. And I'm wondering if it's because for some reason you're so secure, you're so focused, you're such a font of information and comfort that, I, 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 I don't know, you just seem so secure and steady and no regrets. Um, but... When she told me her story, I said, this would make a perfect exit interview. And she agreed to come back and talk about the divorce, which has so many interesting aspects to it. And the bottom line is, she had a great life. She crafted a great life and she moved it forward. And Colleen, can you please explain, and I'm going to stay quiet for a while, what happened? Um, when did it start, the divorce conversation? Did it come up shockingly quick, uh, upending you? Start from the beginning and walk us through. So, I mean, we're talking many decades ago, so almost three decades ago. So it was a long time, time ago, but, you know, for me, it's always as if it was yesterday. You know, I think that's certain parts of your life that uh, you know, it's kind of like a birth of a child, you you know, all of a sudden they're 30, right? You know, and so they, it seems like yesterday. And so I think even the divorce still feels at times like yesterday, it doesn't feel that far removed for me. Like I can still look back on it with uh, very fond memories of my time together and very uh, painful memories of our time together too. Um, I'm so, so happy that you started with the positive, though, that you can look at the good times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so healthy to be able to do that because that is part of your life. You did have good times. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think, I don't know how people, I'm sure there's people who marry not having good times, but I think most of us do have good times. And I think that's what makes the divorce harder or our separations harder is because at one point we were best friends or we were lovers. And then all of a sudden you're looking at somebody as if you don't know who that person is, or you didn't see that side of them, or you didn't even see that side of yourself because it doesn't necessarily bring out the best in any of us. Although we try, even if, even if you're trying to bring out the best in yourself, it's, it's hard depending on what your partner's doing. So for me, it started a long time ago. I mean, we, we dated two years um, and then our marriage probably lasted about two years and our divorce probably took longer than our marriage. <laughs> so um, we, were, we were both, um, you know, in our mid to later 
twenties. And we, uh, we, like I said, we dated two years, we got married, we had a daughter uh, relatively quickly. And, um, and then there was um, some adultery. um, And I still wanted to make the marriage work. Um, So my daughter was eight months old when I found that out. Um, And this is back in the early 90s, you know, and that's when the AIDS still was AIDS epidemic was still going on and things like that. So, you know, there's that heightened wow, I'm breastfeeding and there's cheating going on like that. And then it brings in that whole parental not responsible in your head thing. Like, right. So, but I still wanted to work it out. Like, cause I'm a believer that for me, I can't speak for other people, but if you're willing to work something out and you see change behavior, then that's between you and the other person. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to judge it. Some people will say never, not me. But, you know, I had a newborn, like you want to keep, she's eight months old. I want to keep the, you know, the family unit together. Um, And so, but I found some other um, lying along the way. And so even though we would, we did start therapy and, but that didn't really uh, pan out the way I wanted. So we had both worked for the court system. I had been working uh, with, I was called a victim witness advocate. So I would help victims of violent crimes, uh, like, uh, you know, your rapes, your homicides and help them uh, go through the court system and navigate that process. And then my ex was uh, a state trooper. And so we were, but he was not on the road. He was doing investigations. And so we were both, you know, we both were in the system and we knew a lot of attorneys. Obviously, that was a big part of our career was working with attorneys and, and at a prosecutorial level, you know, working with the state. You, were, so I, you were a therapist at the time, right? No, and no. What were you doing? What was your capacity in the court? No, I had just my bachelor's degree at the time and I was, uh, I really was just a, uh, I was working at the district attorney's office. I had no grad school behind me whatsoever. Okay. I should really insert right here, and I'm so sorry I didn't do it at the beginning. For those of you who are joining us for the first time and did not hear the interview with Colleen last week, Colleen has been a therapist and is a mediator and is a podcaster. Uh, The podcast and the company is called Mediation and Beyond. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I was uh, remiss in not saying that at the beginning. Colleen. Oh, that's, that's okay. So, um, no, I had, you know, I was 28 at the time. We met when I was, I think, we married when I was 20, I was 26. We had my daughter when I was 28. Um, so, no, I had been, he, he was in a PhD program. I had, to, I had started grad school while I was pregnant because I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of school. So, uh, but I had never finished anything because, I became a mom. And so, um, but nonetheless, uh, when I, when we, when I decided, you know, let's, when we decided, I guess, together to kind of get a divorce, uh, I had said, I'm going to go see this attorney named Diane because we both knew her. And I said, now this is back in the nineties, I think 93. I said, but when we can mediate, I thought we would mediate then. Like I thought it would be nice because it was a young marriage, one child. We didn't really have a lot. We had a house, but we didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot. And uh, so I went to, I went to see Diane. 
I had my daughter with a friend of mine and then I came home and probably I think maybe an hour later I got a knock on the door and uh, I got served divorce papers. And I also got served a restraining order that I wasn't allowed to leave the state and take my daughter out of state with me. So of course I could leave, but as a new mother, I'm not going anywhere without my child. Absolutely. Uh, So if you're going (laughs) to, I mean, that's just common sense, not common sense, but for the way I was thinking at the time. And, um, and I also had no money left in my, my account. So I remember calling my parents for, I was out of state. I had to call my parents for diaper money. And I remember calling some people I knew just for like, I had no money. So, um, and that was before, you know, this back in the day when you're checking savings accounts and, you know, you still wrote a check for everything and there is, there's no debit card. Um, and we had no cell phones, really. You had, we had pagers, you know, we, everything. I was remember that. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is actually much, I don't want to say easier, but it's certainly more convenient and much more recordable to be divorced. Now you can track everything. Yeah, uh, it's certainly a better system to be able to track things. But um, so, you know, that's that's how that went. And it pretty much went downhill right from there. Like it, it became really contentious. I had to borrow money from my parents and to get an attorney because I had no money. I had left my job because we agreed I would left leave my career to stay home with my daughter. And then I would, that's why I was taking grad classes. Cause I'm like, but I had left my job so I could stay home. And I, I wanted to, I mean, we talked about it. Like I really wanted to, it wasn't like I was made to or anything. Right. And, uh, and we were in a position where we, we could afford to do that. Right. So it's hard. So why do you think he filed without, doing it together or letting you know he was filing? What was that about? Um, I will never know the answer to that question. Um, I think the filing was, I don't think in, in hindsight, looking back, I'm not sure that perhaps, uh, I think, I'm not sure he thought, he, he never filed for custody, just didn't want me to leave the state with my daughter. And I'm not sure if he thought, if I left, then I wouldn't come back or, but he, it was, I don't really know. I, I, I really felt like in the end we have, it took probably two years to divorce, I think, and over a hundred thousand dollars each. Um, oh my and that was of my parents' money and I didn't grow up with money. I mean, I'm, we were totally middle-class America, but I believe that I really divorced his attorney in the end. I remember at one point being in a room with my attorney, his attorney and him, he went out to, she asked him to go get us all water. (laughs) And I, we were talking, the three of us. And I said, shouldn't we wait for Paul? And she, and she said, well, why bother? What did that mean? Because it really, I think she would have done he, I think she kind of ran the show. Okay. Okay. All right. That makes sense that you divorced his. And I really do think that there are a lot of attorneys who run the show. I think there are a lot of attorneys who have their own agenda, not all attorneys. So I don't want people to say there's, you know, all attorneys are horrible, but I think that's why I'm very pro telling people your attorney works for you. 
It is your, that you hired them to represent your interest. They, you know, and, but I think once you give a deposit to an attorney a lot of time, then you think you have to do whatever they tell you. That's not, I think it's back ass words. Um, but you know, you're at a very vulnerable moment in your life and you can't even think. What I say is not all attorneys are created equal. And in family law, it is the cesspool that will attract attorneys that are in it for the money, that don't really think about how they're hurting people's private lives. If they move into, I don't know, skirting some ethics, attorneys have to live by these code of ethics that are provided by each state bar. And it's easy for family law attorneys to run roughshod over their clients because, as you said, A, the clients are vulnerable, and B, they don't know anything about the system. You don't know when your attorney is doing something that's kind of unnecessary, charging you money for something you don't really need. You don't know that. It's a different language. It's a whole different system you're living in. And you kind of want somebody to lead you. But to your point, you have to maintain your position of being in charge. It is your money. It is your life. And if you don't understand what the attorney is doing, you have to ask and ask what the point is. And if you don't feel it's right, you've got to stop it. Yes? Yes, absolutely. And I also think, you know... you know, I always heard, you know, women, and especially after I was divorced, um, you know, women make out better in court than men. And I'm like, no, that's not really always. the case. I would come out of court and I think I shared with you, you know, my car would be towed. My attorney's car would be towed. Please say that. Please share that. That's what I couldn't remember that I wanted you to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, my attorney and I would be looking for our cars and they're, you know, they're gone to go get them we'd share a taxi a ride to go get our cars from they were towed and there, there is something to be said for divorcing people who work in the legal profession I don't you know I can't prove anything I'm not accusing anybody of anything I'm not saying my ex did anything but it certainly is awful um you know coincidental that my car was towed, my attorney's car was towed. I had rental cars towed because sometimes I, I had moved back out of state to, my, to uh, where I grew up to be near closer to family to, to help me. And, um, you know, when I'd go back to Connect, when I'd go back to uh, Massachusetts for something, uh, and I'd even had a rental car, the rental car would be towed. So it's, I'm just saying, you know, this is after the divorce was final because the restraining order, which we have in California, by the way, um, on the summons, it has a list of restraining orders and the restraining orders are to keep people kind of contained a little bit. Again, child abduction would be why you couldn't take the child out of state without the other parent's permission. Not that you can't at all but that you can't without the other parent's permission because it's about child abduction. Well, yeah, it's a, but based on what? Exactly. You, I have no money. I don't have a, I didn't even have, a, I don't think I even had a passport at the time. My child had no passport at eight, you know, at a year old. And 
where was I going? I had no, no, I've never gone anywhere. It's like, what is it based on? And I think there's something to be said about asking the other parent, like in a position like that, who's controlling everything else for more control. I have to ask you to go see my family. And then you say, no, what am I supposed to do? It's, I remember I wanted to go away to Vermont skiing uh, for the weekend for my 30th birthday. So it was yes, 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 until, until the Thursday night before the Friday we're leaving. And then it was out, no, I, get, I don't think you can, that's not going to be, you can go, but you can't take your, our child. Okay, that's Thursday night. We're leaving Friday. What am I going to court on that? So when you have to ask your ex, am I getting that in writing? Am I supposed to get a notary for that? Do I go to court over getting that agreed upon? How does that really work, Judith? Colleen, it doesn't. First of all, it doesn't work. That was horrible. So may I ask what you did um, in response to that, that particular ski trip? What did you do? Um, I celebrated at home. My family came up and we made the best of it. And that's what you do. Okay. And, and, so you, keep, and you keep moving forward because it's either that or you become, the, you become more like the other person that you're then, you know, that you're then like frustrated with. And I can't do that. That's not an option for me. Okay. So it's this positive attitude that really impresses me. First of all, before you told me the story and there, and and I want to get into the co-parenting section in a second, because that's pretty amazing what you're going to say before we get to that. Um, I think one of the reasons why I thought you weren't divorced is because you're so incredibly positive and forward focused and, and so even um, the fact that while this was going on, you could maintain that is quite amazing to me. Yeah, I look back and think that's pretty impressive myself, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's not easy, but I also knew I had another, I had my daughter, like I, I have a responsibility to raise that. She didn't ask for this. And so I have a responsibility to raise her in a way she's, she wasn't married to her father. So I was. And so she has, she has a clean slate on father daughter relationship. I'm not about to, to, to ruin that. Like that's not for me to do that. Right. Right. So I don't, I just want to make that as best I can because you only get one shot at that. Wow. I I continue to be blown away. May I ask why allegedly (laughs) he did some of these things that maybe were done by him overall? Why was he angry at you? Um, I think any relationship has issues. I don't think we, I think again, if I look back and I'm like, what's the biggest thing in relationships is lack of communication. So, you know, therapy, open communication, all that, that wasn't back big in the nineties, early nineties. I mean, we didn't know about, you got married. (laughs) No one talked about how you felt, how are we doing? What's you get married, you have kids, you have, you know, 
now it's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game. It's so much better. Um, although I think sometimes we swung, we swung a little too far maybe. So I think the, the pendulum needs to swing back a little, but I think for the most part, we weren't sitting down assessing how we were doing as a new couple. I, we just weren't doing that. And, and we each had our parents as models and both our parents were married and together, but married and together doesn't mean they modeled what we needed. Right. So true. And so I don't think either one of us had the skill set uh, to, to effectively communicate. And so I'm sure, I am sure some of whatever his needs were, weren't being met. And he was looking elsewhere for that. And I don't mean sex. I think whatever needs he was, he needed that I wasn't meeting. I looking back, I'm like, I wish we had communicated about that. I wish we had known how. Right. And perhaps he tried and I didn't do a very good job at hearing it. So oh. I'm not putting anything all on him whatsoever because <laughs> I didn't know how to be married. I hear you. I didn't either. I didn't Even though know. I had parents that remained married, I don't think I did either. My parents were 67 years. I mean, I did not know, but I wouldn't say I saw great communication about so, but like my daughter will stand a better chance because we talk about these things, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I didn't even know. And I'm sure as a, you bring a newborn baby into this, I was all over being a new mom. Like I fell in love with that baby for sure. And I own that. Like, like that I was in love, make no mistake. It was a different love, but I was in love with my child for sure. So, you know, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't incorporate enough, you know, bring him in enough. I don't know what, what went wrong, but I, we probably both could say we could have done better. I'm sure. All right. So who brought up the topic of divorce? I did. Because of the infidelity? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, and then we did, then I decided, so it was right around Christmas, <laughs> my daughter, our first Christmas with the first grandchild. And so I said, we're not saying anything to the family, either family. We're just going to suck it up and get through it so everyone can have a nice holiday. And that's what we did through the new year so that we could all, so we pretended through the new year, right? And so, um, and then, and then, which was kind of good because it gave time to think. And then I'm like, let's just go talk to somebody, you know, and we did. But I had found that he still, I'm not saying there was more infidelity. I just found that he wasn't where he was supposed to be, where he might have told me he was, what he was doing. And so okay. I'm like, this isn't working. Like, honesty, you got, we have to have baseline honesty. And, um, but I was okay with that. Like, I'm like, it, you know, it didn't work out. I wasn't even raging. It was, I was more upset with the, how the divorce was playing out. The, that we were going down this road. Our families really got along. It really was sad for me that we're, we were going down a road we never needed to go down. And I still get sad at that. I don't get sad over the infidelity. Like stuff happens. I get sad over how the attorneys got involved. The, and I, I'm a believer that 
I think sometimes these judges know the other attorneys and you can't prove all that stuff either. Oh, without a doubt. Without I, think a doubt. I, I thought sometimes I'd sit there and I'm like, did, did, my, did, did the judge go to, were they roommates? His, his attorney and the judge, like, did, were they college, were they law school roommates? Like, there's something there. Like, you can't prove it. Okay. So I, I have, a, lo- I have uh, a considerable number of attorneys who come on the program. And I asked one of the attorneys about relationships between judges and attorneys. And I said, you know, the judges used to be attorneys or you don't get to be a judge. Um, In California, I don't know if it's the same in Connecticut, um, just because you're a judge in one area of law, when you go to become a judge, Sometimes they put you in another area of law that you know nothing about and you start making really bad rulings because you don't know the law. Sometimes the parties standing in front of you know the law better than you know. It's a horrible, horrible system. But here's what I found out from one of my attorney colleagues, and that is when you have these annual dinners, meet the judges, or any kind of dinners or events where you have to buy tickets and there are different amounts of money based on where your table is, you're going to see all the attorneys in Los Angeles that bill $750 to $1,000 an hour sitting at all the front tables in front of the judges because that money trickles back. Yeah. It trickles back to them. and. and, and that's kind of how it's done. I mean, I always thought it was complicated, but hopefully it worked out that uh, attorneys, uh, w- when they're arguing and litigating, so you have opposing counsel. Each attorney is opposing counsel to the other. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine. And they do their arguments and they do their best and somebody wants to win and nobody wants to lose. And then you go out to dinner some other time together. I never understood how that really could work um, unless you just looked at it as a debate and nothing more than that. I think that's a tough system. It's a a system that um, (laughs) it doesn't really work really well. You know, I don't think it... um, I think there's too much camaraderie in that system. And I don't think when you're up against the guy you just, you know, had drinks with last night and out were out with his wife and you had the golf game and you may have went to Cabo for the weekend that you're you're gonna be representing me at your very best. I know. It's kind of hard like that. So, um, but you know, I don't know what other kind of systems we have in place. I, I don't either. I really don't either. Um, and then they, and then of course they uh, are allowed allowed to be. They police themselves, so that's hard in and of itself. Yeah, that really is. Okay, so allegedly things were happening to you. It was easy to think that possibly it was your husband. I think things happening at your house, outside your house. Didn't you say you felt like you yeah, were... Yeah, like we live diagonal. My in-laws were diagonal to me because I, you know, I'm, I like family. I thought, you know, living close would be nice until you get divorced. So they were diagonal. But, 
you know, like in the winter, I'd have, again, allegedly, it can't prove anything, but you know, there, it snows here in Connecticut. So you'd have like, you know, I'd have people over and then there's, you know, there's footprints up to the back of the cars. And, you know, obviously there's license plates on the people's cars. So, you know, you, you felt like your, your privacy was always being invaded. I didn't know what I could trust, what I couldn't. Um, I certainly, we, we, get, we ended up settling at the 11th hour, like on the day of our trial. Um, and I, I relocated back to Connecticut, but with, you know, with quite a grueling visitation schedule of about, I drove about 2,500 miles a month. Um, so it was about a seven hour round trip on a Friday night, three so hours. That arrived from Connecticut to Massachusetts where he still lived. Yes. And then I would drive up and drive back and then drive up and drive back on Sunday. So, or I'd end up staying up there because I was, you know, I ended up starting grad school here in Connecticut. I became a teacher only because I wanted to be on the same schedule as my daughter. I never really wanted to be a teacher, but it seemed a smart schedule to be on. I originally wanted to be, to go to grad school to become a therapist, but realizing that that schedule and the driving schedule was not going to happen. So I, um, so in the school schedule. So this, this master's program was, seemed the best fit to becoming a teacher. So I did that for probably a decade. And then I went on when she started, uh, I guess I got out of L, uh, junior high. She went, I went on to get a master's um, in um, social work. And then I opened a private therapy practice. And then that morphed into the, my mediation practice eventually. And so that's pretty much the bulk of what I do. And I do a lot of mediation and divorce coaching because I don't think I don't think most people who are going through divorce have uh, mental health issues. I don't. I, I find that any issues they have are pretty normal, given their traumatic experience they're going through. Okay, so back to the divorce settlement. So initially, he filed a restraining order with the yeah. so that you could not leave Massachusetts, and I did not. Okay. Two years for two years. Apparently that changed when it came time for settlement and you were allowed, you negotiated, not allowed, you negotiated to move back to Connecticut. And a lot of, a lot of women want to move back to where their parents are because there's support when they have young children. You need that support, especially if you're going to go work. You need, you need that help. So yeah. You were able to negotiate that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it certainly, it was, a, it was really challenging because the, the visitation schedule was really rough. So how, so how did that work? With well, that? we did a, so we did like a, a, so if you did a four, four week, a four, you know, four weekends a month, so it would be father. So let's say that's his weekend. And then I'd have a weekend home and then it would be his weekend again. And then we had what was a half weekend which was she'd go up on, my daughter would go up on Friday night and then she'd come home on Saturday night. So it was a lot. I mean, it was, it was a lot of driving. It was a lot for her driving. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I look back and I'm like, it, it was a lot on her. And, but, it, but I don't know how to have created and crafted a supportive life because my parents had retired to help me out down here. Um, I was able to go to school. I had I had a place to live here. 
Um, I don't know how he and I would have, um, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of daycare if you don't have to do it. And I, that was just me personally. So I had my parents to help me. My family was like everything. And I, I, I wouldn't change that. Like that was really important for me to okay. the family support. But the deal with the schedule. So I'm assuming the only way he agreed to have you slash his daughter move to Connecticut is if I did all the driving. You would be the only one driving back. Right. And therefore I had, I had to be a teacher because you can't have a nine to five job and get up to Massachusetts from Connecticut by seven o'clock on a Friday night. Right. So I had to have a Colleen on, a, on a Friday night, uh, on average, three and a half to four hours. One way. On a Friday. Yeah, because Friday traffic, like Friday anywhere traffic, right? So okay. I, that means I needed to be out of work by three o'clock. Okay. <laughs> so what kind of job can you get right. where you're out of work on Fridays by three o'clock? You're right. So even if I wanted to be a therapist, which I did back then, there was no way to, to there's no way, there's no one going to hire you to get out of work at three. Everyone likes to be out of work at three o'clock on Friday. <laughs> but so I, the only option I really had was teaching because, and luckily I got a job where I was out at 10 after two. That's sweet. I love yes. That. Now, how long did this driving schedule last? 10, ten years. 10 years? 10 years. So she was what, 12 or 13 at the time? She was around 13 when she wanted to, um, she, you know, she got to be teenage years and, and, you know, it's really hard to meet and make friends and have sleepovers if you're never home. So and this she, is another, and this is another thing like parent, these, these friggin', I understand having a schedule for your children, but please people let the schedule change as the child grows. It does. What works for a five-year-old doesn't work for a 10-year-old or a 13-year-old. Absolutely. So is she the one that's kind of spoke up and the schedule changed? Because yes. Yes. And her father was okay with that because it came from her? No. How did he react? Um, that was a very challenging reaction. And um, they're pretty much, they're, that relationship um, pretty much got severed at that point. How did this not come crashing down on you when that relationship got severed? In terms of like going back to court? Yes. That was just, a, he certainly could have. That was just a choice I think he made at that time not to. I mean, okay. he certainly could have. Um, I wish he had just come down. You know, I, I offered to, my parents offered their house. I offered come stay or, or like just come down and take her out for ice cream or like she had gone up for 10 years. I, I think if, if he had just come down yes, and made just, even just come down for dinner, do you know what I mean? Yes. And just made that connection. I don't think we would be where we're at today. So how did she see him then? while she was still going to high school? She didn't. How did that, how, what's the relationship like now? There isn't one. Really? 
Mm-mm. No, it breaks my heart. We still talk. I still talk about it. Actually, I just saw her this past uh, week. And, you know, I'm always saying, you know, if you'd like to, you know, if you'd like to re- start that, I'm, I would like her to. I mean, that's my, always my goal. I was very close with my dad. I, I can't be a father. I can't replace him. That's, that's not even, there's no way a mother cannot be a father. Like I'm, I'm a mom. Right. And, and yes, it's nice to have both parents in our lives. It is. Is she, does she have any interest in rekindling a relationship with him? I think she's torn, but I'd rather her be torn than say no. How old is she Colleen? 29. Oh my. Okay, well, she's definitely in charge of her own decision-making. Is she married? No. Nope. She, she has a significant, uh, she has a, a partner of five, uh, yeah, five years. They've, he, and, he and she have been, to, she and he have been together for a long time, but. Okay. No, and- she's done well in life. I mean, but I still, I do think this is an area that she still has to mull over for herself. And she does still mull over. It's not closed by any stretch. And I hope one day that uh, she'll make a decision that works for her, but I, it's not a closed door. When you're coaching mm-hmm. and there, the, 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 the visitation schedule, the parenting plan is at issue, do you ever t- do you share your story with your clients? Um, I share bits and pieces. Sure. I'll, I'll tell people, you know, be careful, not saying what's going to happen to me will happen to you or what happened to you will happen to me, whatever. But you have to, there's more, I've already been through it. I've lived it. I've seen it. Um, I see where some mistakes can be made. I'm a big, so when I do a mediation, I do the parenting plan first. The very first thing I do. Because there's nothing more important than the kids, and so, um, and and I and I do want the parenting plan to grow with the child. So I do ask for them to write in there to do an annual review. It's kind of like you do your taxes, right? <laughs> but just to revisit and say, great, they check in with each other. Everything working? Yeah. What's not working? What is working? But but check in. It's it's a, it's really an important part of a child's life. It is. No, and no. so, um, yeah, it, certainly it informs everything that I do when I do a mediation. It's a really important piece of the mediation for me. I have rarely heard anybody talk about infidelity the way you just did when you said stuff happens. We're all imperfect beings. I actually am the only one myself who shares that attitude with you. I, when I got divorced, it it was amicable. We did not have children. So it was pretty easy. We made the exact same amount of money. So, you know, no support necessary, but, um, there was infidelity on his part. It didn't bother me. It was a symptom that there was a problem in the relationship. And that's the only way I looked at it. And I often thought, well, is there something wrong with me that I'm looking at this differently than most people? You know, most people, it's the worst thing that could happen to them. They never get over it. It's the trust. It's the betrayal. And I'm like, 
well, what are we trusting? Are we trusting that we're imperfect and are going to make mistakes? Because that's well-placed trust. Are we trusting that no one's ever going to do anything that would hurt the other person? Well, that just isn't going to happen, generally. Well, yeah, and I also think that, you know, it's quick to react instead of just, you know, you got to pause. If You have to look at yourself. Like to think, and it was, I'm sure this will be an uproar, but to, to think that you didn't play any role in any downfall of your relationship is just absolutely ridiculous. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to, somebody has to go pull down their pants and have sex. That's, but what I'm saying is it takes two people to have a demise of a relationship. You have to look, you don't have to like what your partner did, how they chose to respond to the demise. Like, I don't have to like the infidelity, but I certainly better look at my role in the demise. Forget the person's actions. Let's just look at your role in the demise. Everybody's too busy looking at what their partner did. Yes. And and you're never going to get anywhere by doing that because your partner has to look at him or herself in the But so do you. Yes. And I've always said, you know, once something happens, there's there's a breach in the relationship, you have to start with you. Look at yourself first because A, that's the only life you can control. And B, how are you going to learn anything from this experience? Yeah. You don't first examine yourself. Um, I love, did you see any warning signs before you got married? And generally people did. And all of us just went on and just, oh, you know what? Who cares? It's going to work itself out. It always does. No, it doesn't. But what are you going to do? It's a journey. It's a learning experience. It's a risk. And thank you. And it's a risk. It's just a risk. And what are you going to say? I would have rather never met. I'm so glad we met. I have a, I have a beautiful daughter. I'm glad I had the experience. It didn't ruin my entire life. It didn't need to ruin my entire life. That's not why it happened. That experience did not come into my life to ruin it. It came in for me to take away a lesson from it. And that's up to me to decide what the lesson is and me to be open to what that lesson was. And if I'm not, then then that's on me, right? But there's a lesson in every experience we have. I don't know. I, I, I think I'm glad we met. I don't, I don't look at it as a bad thing. Man, that just sounds so wonderful. I, your coaching clients are really lucky. They are. To have somebody with such a positive mindset that has been through it themselves. And that, that's the other bigger thing. Well, it's a shift. It's a shift, Judith. And everyone can shift. Yeah, no, we absolutely can. Um, Lastly, I just wanted to ask your opinion about this, especially since you went through it and then you also see it in your clients, your coaching and mediation clients. It seems like the shorter the marriage, the longer the divorce. The shorter the marriage, the more anger in the divorce. Why? Well, mine was short. And, you know, two-year marriage <laughs> took over, I think the divorce was longer. 
um, because I think you don't even get to live any of the dream. You don't get to live any of the dream. And then short-term marriages, of course, everyone knows who's in court or does divorces. You certainly, there's no alimony in short-term marriages. So when you are, give up your career as a woman, you're like, okay, I got a baby. I have child support, which depending on what that, how much your partner's making, you're really left impoverished. I mean, I had nothing. Yeah. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Thank goodness for my family. That's all I have to say. And I will also say, thank goodness, at least I already had my bachelor's degree. But I had nothing. I really feel for women. And that's why when I do talk about uh, alimony with men, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. She stepped out and she withdrew from society. So she's not getting social security. So hold on a minute. Because no one thinks about women stepping out of the, the workforce and what they give up. But um, I think for short-term marriages, I think because we didn't even get to live the dream. See, that's what I thought too. Hopes and dreams dashed immediately, upended, and you don't know where to go, what to think, what to do. I didn't even get a holiday card. What did they have had them at the time? I didn't even get, I didn't even get the first birthday in. Like, you know what I mean? Like I didn't get, I didn't get anything. And so you feel robbed. You feel really gypped from, of, you just feel gypped of the, whatever quote unquote the dream is, we, we feel gypped. Right, right. Yeah, I, um, I interviewed a woman a few months ago from British Columbia. She was married eight months. The divorce took eight years. Mm-hmm. And because she's from Canada, a little a slightly different system than the United States. There is a statute of limitations. If you haven't made your settlement apparently by eight years, then the court closes the case. You are divorced, like it or not, and you just leave with whatever you have. Wow. To her. And, she, and, and she said, I didn't want to throw any money at it. I didn't want to throw any time at it. I knew there was a statute of limitations. I just let it go until the court closed it. And I thought, well, that's brilliant. That is brilliant and dangerous at the same time in some respects. Well, dangerous in case you're still indebted somehow in terms of community obligations. Yeah. Like if, if, if the, if the, I'm just going to use the husband in this case, if the husband has a lot and doesn't want to really give it over to her, if he drags his feet long enough, then I guess they close the case and then she doesn't get what she deserves. I don't know. There's probably more to it than that, but it can. Well, that's all I'm saying. It can be dangerous if if the if the spouse is owed something, and they they just drag it on. But maybe there's more to it than that. Well, probably in an eight month marriage, there wasn't right. a whole lot of <laughs> right, you know, stuff to divide. Yeah. But um, I, I yeah, I always wanted to ask somebody their opinion of. Why are the shortest marriages the toughest to divorce? And I have to agree with you. And I thought about that. Hopes and dreams dashed immediately. You don't yeah. even live a part of the dream. No, and I think when you have small children, like I had, I had a baby. I didn't even get to be a family. I never got to be a family. Like that's really, that still hurts. There's still like a wound for that. There, 
you know, we never got to be mom, dad, and baby. But yeah. there's a there's a little wound for that. Do you think for your daughter as well? It, it, has she talked about that at all? Not that she knew any differently. She didn't know any different. But yes, I do think there is a wound for that. And and listen, he married a really nice remarried a really nice woman and uh I really liked her I remember I would give her Mother's Day presents from my daughter she had two boys and I would make sure that they had birthday my daughter would bring birthday presents for the boys like because you really want to teach your child that that's her family you do the right thing I never I remember when he remarried I sat down with the his new wife and I said um, you know I talked with her just for a couple of minutes at their at their outside at their property and I said uh, I just want to let you know I really appreciate you being so nice to my daughter and although he and I may not get along at times I I just you know want you to know like I appreciate what you do like I didn't want her dragged in the middle I did there was no need to have animosity between us she didn't do anything she loves them fine by me, just be good to my daughter. Like I appreciate somebody who's going to be nice to my daughter. Like, and I think people need to be more mindful of that. Yes. Again, Colleen, I keep being more and more impressed with what you're saying. You're kind of the poster child for the most amicable way to approach a divorce, even to the point of sharing your daughter. And wanting to build a good relationship with stepmom. I mean, some women don't even want to meet the other person. Yeah, but think, yes. And that's, to me, (laughs) that's because they're hurt, but they're not thinking that their child is stuck in that. Like, what do you do? Want the stepmom or stepdad not to like your child? I would be in a panic. Like, I want that person to be nice and kind and loving to my child. And when my child's sick, I want that person to take care of my child. Right. Why would you want a, a step-parent to be mad at you and then not nice to your child? Like, I'd like people to think. <laughs> or by ignoring the step-parent, somehow they don't exist. I think maybe yeah, a little bit of that, too. Yeah. It's not about, when you have children, the divorce is not about you. It's not about you. Yeah. If you wanted a life about you, don't have kids. I mean, that's the bottom line. Your life, in terms of like being divorced, like, because like you said earlier, you got divorced. It's pretty simple. You go your way, you go your way. You're not think. you don't have to think about him. You don't have any responsibilities to him. Right. But when you have children, you're always tied. I don't, my daughter's 29. If she got married and they're reconnected or they never were disconnected, I'm going to be at that wedding together. I would hope the stepmom and stepbrothers or whoever is there or like, you're always going to be connected and you never want to put your child, no matter how old, in a position where they have to choose. Right. I know. I know how uncomfortable. It is. Colleen, I got even more from this conversation than I thought I was going to get going into it. I really appreciate you. I really admire how you think. 
and how consistent you've been. And I think your clients are really lucky to have you. So now that the pandemic has torn down all <laughs> the boundaries yes. of work and anybody can use you as a coach, regardless of what state they're in, um, what's the best uh, way to get in touch with you? So you can email me at Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, at Colleen O'Neill, O-N-E-I-L.com. Uh, you can go to my website, mediationandbeyond.com, and use my contact form there. And those probably are the two best ways to get in touch with me. Okay. Yeah, I, I really want people to call you. I just have been so encouraged by this conversation and so impressed with the positivity that comes out of you. Um, no, you're a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for joining us a second time. Thank you for having me, Judith. Always a pleasure. And uh, people, people can shift. That's all I have to tell you. You don't have to be stuck in, in sadness or anger. Like people can shift. Agreed. Agreed. And thank all of you, of course, for listening each and every week. I appreciate you. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do so through my email and website, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And share this with your friends, please. There's such good content with people like Colleen. My God, I'm so lucky to have you and everybody on the show. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 